but I'll be reading from Genesis 18. Um, just a warning, it's very long, so I'm going to try and be fairly quick. All right. So, um, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of fine flour and knead it and bake it into bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the, wife, then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself and thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that his, he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous and the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I can find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now, now that I have been so bold as to ask to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? 
If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not get angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Anna, thank you so much. I really loved your reading and thank you for bringing the word to us this afternoon. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. As Brent so beautifully uh, introduced me, yes, I'm Fiona and I'm newly been appointed to the Rabina campus of New Life. Um, I've come from Sydney. Uh, I've come with my husband, Michael, confusing, Um, and also three kids. Uh, We have two that we left in Sydney heartbreaking. Uh, one, one of those, uh, our eldest son is 21 and then his sister is 19 and they're flatting together in Narrabeen. I don't know if you know where that is, but uh, anybody could go the live and the dream, right? Mum and dad are paying for rent for them. So anyway, they're in a really little flat together and they're having to learn how to get on and how to do that well. Um, and we've brought with us our youngest child, Georgia, who is 16 and she's just gone into year 11. Um, It's been an interesting journey for us. Uh, I would love to have the chance to explain a little bit more and for you to get to know me a little bit more, but we might do that another time. But just um, in a nutshell, a year of uh, hearing the Lord stir us and ask us to be ready to move, not knowing where, um, not knowing how, uh, at the start of 2021, which was, as you might remember, a pretty crazy kind of COVID year, particularly in Sydney. Um, and so um, we, yeah, we, we have so many ways that we've engaged with this story, this story of Genesis, this story of Abraham and Sarah. Um, and we've, we've learned a lot, and it's been a delight for me to be part of this preaching series because of just the ways that our own story of leaving a place that had been home for so long, um, uh, how that story for us resonated so much with um, Abraham. Anyway, that's a different sermon. <laughs> that was a sermon from a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I'm just delighted to be here. Um, I... What has become um, clearer to me through um, these last four weeks, right? So this is week four of the series. What's become clearer to me is um, the way that Abraham's character is being developed. He's being matured. And he's being matured because he has the closeness and the presence of God with him through all of the different things that are going on in life, and particularly in light of the promises that God has given him. Remember, there was a threefold promise. The promise of blessing, Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of that blessing. Promise of land, 
We now call that the kingdom of God. Promise of many, many descendants. Uh, and that's, that's us. That's God's people. So as, as God revealed more of himself uh, to this pagan man, um, as God continued to come close to Abraham and to speak to Abraham, and as we saw Abraham's different responses, we now really have seen this uh, real development, this real um, steady progression of growing in character for Abraham. And as we go into the passage and look at it somewhat in detail, um, I would love you to keep that uh, progression and that development and that um, growing in character for Abraham. And I'd love you to see that that has reverberations into Jesus Christ and his church. That the way that Christ was... uh, with his disciples and then was for the church. As I've started to see, there is this amazing reverberation from what was at the beginning of the Old Testament, then seeing it to how it actually is playing out and what that looks like for Jesus at work in the lives of his disciples and the development and the refining and the growing in character in the preparation for his death and resurrection. So just have that, if that's not too complicated for you, just have that as background, just as background. Um, But because there's actually a lot here, let's pray. Let's do that. Gracious Lord, we do give you thanks for this time that we can have together. Lord God, I would ask that you would open our hearts and our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. I would ask that you might put your words into my mouth that you would be glorified. And God, I ask that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. So the way into the story, well, um, this is the last time that um, Abraham and Sarah are going to be reminded of the promises that God has given them. It's been somewhere between 11 and 13 years since God first appeared to Abraham. And he's now 99 years old. But this time, uh, the news is good because the news has more details, right? It feels like there was always lacking some details in exactly how this was going to be fulfilled. And so now we come to a moment where God, with two others, weird, uh, comes and delivers this news and actually... They're on their way somewhere else to Sodom, actually. So, so there's this really interesting story about how Abraham and Sarah receive finally something a little bit more concrete. There's going to be a baby, and within a year, you're going to have it. And it's going to be called Isaac. So we've got this, um, you know, I was quite relieved. Like, finally, <laughs> finally they know this is going to happen. Um, and as I said, w- what we see is that this news is delivered to them really with something else that's going on, and uh, God and his... And the men that are with him are going uh, down, to Solomon, down to Sodom to investigate a situation there. And um, I love, again, Sarah, she's so consistent, right? She's just a delight to get to know in Scripture. But she's, she's had issues. She's had doubt issues, don't we all? I, I, I said before, I can so relate. Um, but she says again, shall I indeed bear a child that now I'm old? <laughs> like, she's kind of got the same response that she's had really throughout the last couple of chapters. It's just one of God, it's not that I don't trust you. I just don't know how you're going to do it. Because I'm really old. Um, and, and the Lord says to her, is anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? Like, just right there, what a beautiful reminder. 
whatever's going on in your life, whatever seems utterly impossible, maybe this is a word for you today. And, and as I said, we see that, that there is this continued struggle to trust God. But the question, it's wonderful, isn't it? The question, is anything too difficult or wonderful for the Lord? It's designed to shift us, or indeed shift Sarah, out of this sort of somewhat obsession with what is hopeless, or this obsession with what is a lack of resources, and shifts her thinking, or shifts our thinking, into the limitless resource of God. And, um, and that's a really encouraging place to be. In fact, I think that's the place of faith. And so um, I have this little quote that speaks more about this place of faith or indeed the life of faith. It says this, living a life of faith may mean never knowing where you're being led, but it does mean loving and knowing the one who's leading. It is literally a life of faith, not of understanding and reason. Faith is rooted in the knowledge of a person. And that's a, a quote from an ancient guy called Oswald Chambers. Now, as we come to the story, there are actually almost two distinct stories. I don't know whether you'd pick that up. And there's two roles that Abraham's going to play in both of those stories. And as I said, it gives us an insight into what's been happening in Abraham's heart, into this inward transformation, this deep work, this gradual growth of the character of God into Abraham's heart. It's like he's becoming more like Jesus, or he's becoming more like God. <laughs> um, his life is being marked by God coming close. And um, in that, Abraham is getting to know who this God is that he's in relationship with. And so it says that uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. Abraham, God appeared to Abraham. Verse 1, is it there? Yeah. I'm, I'm often struck by the first verse. And this has just done it to me again. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Don't know whether you would recall, but in uh, the previous parts of Genesis that we've looked at in our series, the word of the Lord has come to Abraham. The word of the Lord has come to Abraham. But we just got a sneaky different look today, don't we? We have this incredibly understated moment. We nearly missed it. I think it could be like the most understated phrase in Scripture. The Lord appeared to Abraham. And it's, it's understated because God isn't there as a burning bush or a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire or the dazzling white bright light that we read in the Transfiguration story. It's not even a still small voice. God appears to Abraham humble, his glory incredibly veiled, incredibly understated. He appears in the form of a person or a man is how Abraham understands what he's seeing. It's also a bit funky in that it starts to make some of us theologians try and think through, what? Like, What's going on here? God and two others. God, 
others leave, is this the Trinity? And, and yes, maybe, yes, maybe to all that. Maybe this is some of the basis for how we begin to build a, a Trinitarian theology. Um, but we're not going to get caught up on that today because uh, it totally, totally boggles my mind what's really going on there. But there is something about this appearance of the Lord in this way because I think that it's saying to Abraham, reminding him that this is the God we have relationship with. This is reminding us that if God can do this, then all of those possible impossibilities that seem to fill our everyday life suddenly become available to all of us who believe. And I think Abraham, I think God appears to Abraham in this way because, as I said, it's so that Abraham understands or is able to see more clearly what it is to like to have a relationship with God. But also, it's like so helpfully concrete, right? It's just concrete. And it enables Abraham to continue to live by faith in God, not needing to doubt, really, uh, God's love or God's faithfulness. And friends, that's the same reason that God came to us in Jesus Christ. The same reason. That Jesus spoke God's words. Jesus thought God's thoughts, felt and expressed God's emotions, and did God's work. God sent Jesus to us to reveal God's love in a concrete way. We get a taste of this in our 1 John 1. I'm sure it's a familiar scripture to some of you. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I know it's really early on and everything, but I just... In my preparations today, and um, as I've sat with the scripture and this, and this moment in the story of God appearing, I just wanted to just make the invitation available to anybody who may not have received this love before, may not have known life in Jesus Christ. And I just wanted to let it sit there and maybe just um, warm in your heart that the seed would be planted. Um, that after the service, we'd just love to, for anybody here, Aaron and the team, they'd just so love to pray with you if that's you, if that's not something that you've um, experienced or received for yourself. Moving to the next slide in the story. So Abraham looks up and sees three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the, entrance of his ent uh, from the entrance of the tent to meet them. He bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be bought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may be refreshed and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. It's the heat of the day in the desert. It's really hot, I'm led to believe. Uh, and um, other little thing that's going on here in the story that you would only know if you'd read chapter 17 that's gone right before us, is that God had come and uh, he had brought to Abraham the covenant of circumcision. So as Abraham sits uh, by his tent entrance in the heat of the day, he might just be recovering. He might just be a bit post-surgery. But yeah, we see this thing, right? He rushes. He hurries. He, he, he hurries to do some things. He, he brings himself to actually 
quickly organise, uh, quickly organise refreshments, quickly attend to the needs of these visitors, to quickly um, provide for them. And we see that his hospitality is extremely generous. It is actually extravagant. That there is this very large amount of flour to bake bread. There is a choice calf that's been picked from the herd with milk and curds, which are like the appropriate accompaniments with good meat. We see that Abraham is so welcoming. And he's actually very reverent towards these guests. And he serves them. And in this, we see that Abraham's heart is so willing to make the sacrifices so that his guests might feel welcome. Um, I got here like about just a bit before three, and um, I spent a little bit of time uh, before um, Brent and Anna came and found me, but I just spent some time wandering around here. And um, can I tell you that this is just a beautiful welcoming place? Um, it's just a place that uh, just, I've, I just found it such an inviting space to come and be part of, even though I was completely new. Like, new, new like in so many senses of the word. And, and, and what I want to continue to encourage you in is that um, may the way you do welcome here represent something more than just what um, those lovely flags are and the way the entrance is set up and those sorts of things. May it represent something more. May it represent God's heart of welcome to your community. May it just be like that, um, that, that thing that this church becomes known for, that it becomes known for its welcome. Um, and whether it be for upstairs or kids or all the other things that you do here, um, may, may this really, in, in a, in a, in a long-standing way, represent God's people here, ex- extending that love and that welcome. And Paul talks about it in Romans. He says, welcome one another then, just as Christ has welcomed you, in order to bring glory to God. So, so may this welcome here grow and reach many, many people and may it ever point to a company of people who love God and who extend generous and self-sacrificing welcome to others. Amen. Amen. So moving through the story, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read verse 16 and then we're going to jump to verse 20 and I'm going to come back to that little piece in the middle. But it should be on the slide for you. Then the men set out from there and they looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them and set them on their way. You know, just again, the perfect host. He's just walked them down the road a little bit towards the direction they're needing to go. But then the Lord said to Abraham, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. God hears Sodom's cry. It's a cry or an outcry, sometimes it's translated, that is heard because of the grave sin in that city. In the Hebrew language, this word cry is found around about another 20 times throughout the Old Testament. It's the cry of the oppressed. It's the cry of the vulnerable who are exploited. It's the cry of the downtrodden. It's the cry of the widow and the orphan who've been harshly treated. It's the cry of heinous moral and social corruption, which includes, but is by no means exclusively, sexual immorality. 
But this is the cry that always attracts the attention and the intervention of Yahweh. Always. God always hears and investigates. So that we might not doubt God's mercy. Because God created this world and loves it so much that when it is broken, he yearns to put it back together again. The Psalms are full of reminders for us about this. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord regards the prayer of the destitute. The Lord has heard my plea. God hears my cry. God hears your cry. He hears the cry of the city that I know that even in our prayers of intercession just now that, that you are seeking to get alongside and hear that and respond. So the men went from there and they went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to say the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Again, what strikes me as we begin this uh, part of the story is how Abraham draws near to God. You know, God has appeared to him and now in this, after this uh, time of hospitality, um, after this time of, of, of um, us, the readers, hearing God's cry, uh, sorry, the cry of Sodom, we now see Abraham moving in, leaning in to the presence of God, to, to come before God with something that Abraham's quite concerned about. He draws near to Yahweh. And I think that this is actually, in talking about that character and development, I think this is maybe a moment of confidence, that Abraham finds himself in a place of confidence with God. Abraham is acting upon what he's come to know about God's character and about God's dependability, about his integrity, that Abraham is convinced now that God is trustworthy and that God keeps his covenant promises. You might recall... Um, from uh, Genesis 15, but this is the God who shows up. This is the God who will walk the blood path, who is obligated himself unilaterally to the covenant. And Abraham is learning to see injustice, just like how God sees injustice. And he knows that he can appeal to the mercy of God, because hasn't he had to fall back on that in, in so many other parts of his story and his family's story? Abraham is tapping into the heart of God and he asks God if God would spare the city for 50 innocent or righteous. And God consents. Abraham presses God to mitigate punishment if 45 innocent people were there. And God agrees. Three times Abraham lowers the number by five. And then with a little boldness, he lowers the number by 10. And Abraham stops at 10. I don't know completely why. We're not really given um, much of a reason, neither in scripture or in, in commentary. 
But I think that, that Abraham, Abraham has indeed worked out the meaning of the phrase that he uttered back in those verses, the judge of all the earth will do what is just. And this verse means to us that justice is not something that God aspires to. It's the heart of who God is and what God does. And that to God, ten righteous people are more important than innumerable wicked. And that just as the nations of the earth will find blessing in Abraham and his descendants, so the guilty will find mercy in the lives of the godly. Abraham knows that God gives the right judgment. Nowhere does Abraham challenge God's evaluation of Sodom. I think that's really important because I think so often when we hear the cry, sometimes we're tempted to decide what it is that God should or shouldn't be doing in that situation. Abraham doesn't do that. He never uh, challenges God's evaluation, but he asks God for divine mercy and he becomes an intercessor partnering with God for God's outcome. Interestingly, at this point in the story, we do start to see it kind of um, stretch out into other themes of intercession and responding in prayer on behalf of others who have experienced injustice. And we see this continue out into Exodus uh, through the major prophets, through Ezra and Nehemiah, and into the New Testament. Because God starts with a leader, and then the responsibility shifts from one person who hears the cry to all of God's people who hear the cry. 1 Peter 2.9 says that, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, God's special position, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As the body of Christ, we now represent, every one of us who follow Jesus, we represent God to the world, to be the message and to show the world what God looks like. And there are so many ways that we do that. You know, this is what it is to live a life in the way of Jesus. But keenly, we commit ourselves to prayer. We come before the Lord just like Abraham did. We come before the Lord when there's a crisis. We come before the Lord for nations and businesses and families and individuals. And whilst we could actually really open up what that looks like for New Life Brisbane in terms of its call to intercede for the city, because I've got, I've got this real sense that that's part of what God has you here for. But I just want to say actually one thing and just sort of trying to keep it to the point. Friends, do not let that be a burden. Do not let that be a burden. Because we read that in Jesus, it's Jesus Christ who makes intercession for us continually. And then it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that makes intercession for the saints. So it's not the thing that you need to burden yourselves with in order to come before the Lord and intercede. I just don't think we've got, a, we just don't need any more reason other than to partner and participate in the intercession of the Lord and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we partner and participate in, in what, in, in what Christ and the Holy Spirit is doing in intercession in our midst all the time. A quick summary, where we got to so far. Abraham's heart is tuned into God's character and the generous provision and hospitality that we read in the first story. Abraham's heart is tuned into God's character of mercy and justice, and he now partners with God in intercession. 
And then we just want to just jump back into uh, verse 17 and 18 that says this. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? No, for I've chosen him, that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, and so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So sandwiched in between these two stories, these two um, portraits of Abraham in, in different settings, performing um, playing different roles as generous welcomer, as partner with God in intercession, we discover that there's another reason why God has come and met Abraham uh, by his tent in the heat of the day. I think God's come because he's got a little bit of parenting advice. And it's perfect timing, right? Because <laughs> anything before now, it would have just been more lament for Sarah and Abraham. It's like, this is so long in coming. We don't need any advice about parenting right now, but the baby's going to be there in nine months or thereabouts. And God comes alongside Abraham. He, he, he does this soliloquy, this thing where he, he talks about Abraham like he's not in the room, but Abraham was able to overhear. And God so beautifully credentials who Abraham is in God's eyes. And then he goes on to actually charge Abraham with something that he's going to do. And what he's going to do, this parenting advice, is that he is going to charge his children and their households with the responsibility for raising up subsequent generations in the right way to live before God. Abraham's, it's Abraham and Sarah's role to impress God's ways on the hearts of his children. That they're going to need to teach and instruct. They're going to need to keep the way and walk in the way of God. And they're going to do that by practicing righteousness and justice. This is um, a responsibility, right? We know this responsibility. But there is... A responsibility for us as the church that we do this together not necessarily as biological parents friends I think that the idealism of of the neat little family in four walls of a nice little home triple brick veneer whatever with a nuclear family situation I think those days have passed us and so when we think about family and household we as God's people need to think about spiritual family we need to think about who we are as spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual aunties and uncles, spiritual brothers and sisters, that we might assist and guide and support those who are either young in age or young in the Lord, that they might grow up and be, um, be charged with this responsibility for the next and subsequent generations. It's a wonderful responsibility. It, it, it is a, it's an important responsibility. It's an important responsibility that, that we as the church do not doubt the closeness of God and the importance of this, um, especially in this church planning environment, to be in a place that is here because we want to see more people more like Jesus, because we want to see more people come to faith. We want this city to be transformed by the power of the gospel. So every day of what it is to be New Life Brisbane is about figuring out how am I going to be a spiritual brother or sister, auntie or uncle, mother or father. 
How am I going to exercise this amongst people who are either young in age or young in the Lord? We're going to need to walk closely with God in order to carry this out. We're going to need a really close walk with the Lord. We're going to need to uh, offer the welcome of Christ to people without exception. We're going to need to hear the cry of the oppressed and the brokenhearted and the mistreated and intercede for justice. And we're going to need to make disciples of this generation and the next. We're going to need a close relationship with God. We're going to need to walk closely. We're going to need to be prepared to partner with Jesus for the reconciling of the world. We're going to need a daily infilling of his Holy Spirit, uh, that love poured into our hearts. We're going to need to be empowered to go out and do this work. And this is all, as I've said, through relationship. This is all on offer. This kind of relationship is available to us. It's a limited, it's an unlimited, sorry, resource. It's an unlimited resource to us of God's goodness and God's presence to us as we uh, put ourselves into this story to do the things that we're charged to do here today. And just in closing, uh, I just love... uh, uh, a, a fairly a beautiful discourse that Jesus has with his disciples in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus is uh, in some ways preparing his disciples for his departure. And he speaks to them about this close friendship. And I'm just going to read it to you. It's going to kind of be our, um, our moment to receive these words as a prayer and as a response. And then we will go into some, go into some worship. But these, um, friends, we're going to need to be uh, new wineskins for the new wine that God has for us here. And so let me read this, and then we're going to go into some worship out of head. Bow your heads or put your hands out, or just find yourself in a position of being able to respond and, and have these words just sit over you like a blanket of love, as God would have them say to you. Jesus says, I have loved you. And this is a collective you. This is not the individual. I've loved you as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. Follow my example in obeying the Father's commandments and receiving his love. If you obey my commandments, you will stay in my love. I want you to know the delight I experience to find ultimate satisfaction, which is why I'm telling you all of this. My commandment to you is this, to love others as I've loved you. There is no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. You celebrate our friendship if you obey this command. I don't call you servants any longer. Servants don't know what the master is doing. But I have told you everything the father has said to me. I call you friends. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I orchestrated all of this so that you would be sent out and bear great and perpetual fruit. As you do this, anything you ask the Father in my name will be done.